Hello, and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer for Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer of the Baptist Health System. And today we are very excited to have Tom Lowry, the national director for artificial intelligence of health and life sciences uh, at Microsoft. Tom, welcome to the program. Well, hey, thank you. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's, it's good to be uh, hanging out and talking about uh, AI with you today. Yeah, very exciting topic and want to you know dive into some of your books and learn a lot more about how AI is being incorporated into healthcare and how we can use it for improvement. But uh, before we start, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, uh, in my role uh, at Microsoft, I essentially uh, have the privilege of serving as a strategic advisor to some of our top healthcare clients in the United States, uh, specifically focused on the use of data and AI to uh, hopefully help transform uh, health and medical services to be uh, better. Better is the, the normal things we always talk about, improve quality, uh, improve efficiencies, improve access, and, and then somewhere along the way, hopefully, uh, make uh, clinicians uh, better at what they care about. So uh, I, I get to do that uh, with a lot of great organizations, and uh, I, I'm always learning from people like you as much as I'm, I'm somehow imparting knowledge. So that's what I do. Well, Tom, once again, thank you very much for being here. And we're going to get into your book called AI in Health, which is really a great book. But before we get there, um, a lot of us, when we think about AI, we artificial intelligence, we we have these these mental images that come in our. You know, I think about when I used to watch, you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you had Data, the droid, who, and, and you know, which he was kind of a benev benevolent, you know, type of AI. And then you think about the mat all the Matrix movies and and, and the, the the evil side. And so, for our listeners, what? How is AI defined and, and what is it and what is it not? Well, so uh, great opening question. Um, it would be interesting, um, you know, for, for whoever's uh, watching or tuning into this, if all of a sudden we get a pop quiz and said, everyone define AI and we gathered that information, how many versions do you think there'd be of, of, of the answer to your question? So. Uh, it is amazing to me how many times, uh, either as a speaker uh, or, or just working, uh, I can be engaged in lively conversations with people like uh, physicians and nurses and others about AI. We get to the end of the conversation, you kind of realize you're talking about different things. So many definitions. Uh, let's just keep it super simple today. Basically, uh, for the sake of this discussion, AI would define as um, you know computers and technology that basically um, mimic human brain functions and capabilities once previously only the purview of humans and and i can broaden that but that's the short definition and um you know when you think about that it's it's those things that uh once was only in science fiction as you mentioned increasingly you know we're reaching human parity with ai on things like vision speech knowledge extraction all those things that once only we humans could do. So I, I finished that by way of, of saying, um, you know, in, in a way, humans are so smart, we figured out how to outsource some of the things that only our brains previously were capable of doing. 
I think that's a really great start. And to go further along as far as defining AI and maybe different types of AI, can you elaborate just a little bit on some of those different types? Because we hear often uh, machine learning and AI maybe used interchangeably or, you know, deep neural networks or, you know, other things uh, similar to that, that how does that all fit together yeah. within artificial intelligence? Yeah, another great question. So, you know, a lot of times when people talk about AI, uh, they, they kind of refer to it as if it's one thing. And, and in reality, AI is an umbrella under which there are many things. So many times uh, in, and in my work, if I'm working with a group of clinicians, and they're talking about we want to use AI. Invariably, probably 80 percent of the time when they talk about that, they're talking about wanting to predict things, which brings us into the realm of machine learning, deep neural networks. So there are many flavors of, of being able to predict things uh, through algorithms. But again, beyond that, we have so many other capabilities, many of which under the hood are algorithmically driven. But our ability to do things like, um, you know, have the vision API to be doing things like uh, getting stitched into um, images for intelligent images to be able to, you know, essentially do pre-reads on things like radiology images, which is not designed to take the place of radiologists so much as designed to help speed up that repetitive activity to allow them to then be free to do higher level things. So it's it's many things, number one. And then number two, uh, to give you a really long answer, uh, another thing that often we get confused by is some of the stuff we've even seen in clinical literature where there are smart people that suggest that AI will get to the point of being able to replace people like you, physicians. And anytime I hear that, uh, typically, um, the first thing I think of is that they really don't get AI. Uh, radiologists are often the, at the sharp end of the stick of, hey, maybe we should stop training radiologists. And whenever I hear that, one, they don't understand AI, and two, they probably don't understand the role of a specialist like a radiologist. So quickly, um, you know, AI is really good at things like pattern recognition, uh, sorting through massive amounts of data to uh, find these patterns that we as humans either can't find or would take us an inordinate amount of time. Uh, humans, on the other hand, uh, and think about the clinical care process, whether you're a practicing physician or a consumer, you know, um, a lot of that care practice and diagnosis and management is all about uh, experience, wisdom, uh, judgment, common sense. And, and it's the combination of those two things that when brought together, that's where the magic happens with AI applied to health and medicine. When people don't get that, uh, and, and they start doing the, well, it's going to replace humans. Uh, that, that's kind of not where we are, not where we're going. And I'll, I'll, I'll finish by just using a, a simple example where uh, in the industry, there's something known as correlation versus causation. Same, same holds true, I'm, I'm sure, for anyone going through medical school where, um, you know, I'm not a data scientist, but I'll play one on your podcast where I, I, I gathered a whole bunch of information uh, using machine learning. And uh, I've proven, and I can I can send you the data. There's a perfect correlation between per capita cheese consumption in America and the number of people who die every year by becoming tangled in their bed sheets. So if if we stop, you know, if we step away from the cheese platter tonight, are we going to save lives? Probably not. But it's just to say AI is really good at things like finding correlations. 
but but it's that in the hands of of trained professionals and whether you're clinically oriented or whether you're that rev cycle specialist is bringing those things together that's really where we're driving value you know you 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 mentioned using it in imaging and i know for years radiologists have they've had a program that looks at, at screening mammograms and it i guess it has been fed millions and millions of screening mammograms and, and I assume that's a form of AI because it, it will only pick up on the the ones that are abnormal. W- would that be? Yes. That yes, be that's a great that. example of a vision API with some machine learning behind it to start looking at uh, these patterns, and they can be very subtle patterns, uh, but but it has the ability to uh, be more precise in looking at those patterns. And again, surfacing things as a potential abnormality, which is then, you know, it's hopefully helping that clinician um, spend more time looking at the right stuff, get through more reads or, you know, finishing whatever process that's part of. So they can actually spend more time uh, face to face, eyeball to eyeball with all those other people like you as surgeons they're advising uh, in, in their role. Well, so let's let's talk about that example a little bit more because I think that goes along with one of the concepts in your book. You know, you're talking about, um, and we're talking about narrow versus a general AI. So we're talking about uh, an AI program that helps radiologists find a nodule on a mammogram <laughs> or a chest X-ray or something like that. And there's many programs out there that do this. Um, and so some are would say, okay, yeah, that that AI program is better than the majority of your radiologists of identifying breast cancer with this particular study. Therefore, this AI program can replace the radiologist and do everything else the radiologist does. Um, Read every other imaging study. Why is it hard to generalize from that, that narrow niche, I guess, role of a particular AI program, one that's designed and trained to recognize a lung nodule to doing everything else, um, reading every other imaging study out there. How, how big of a leap is that? And why is why is it hard to replace a, a radiologist with this technology? Well, you know, it, it kind of gets back to what I said earlier, correlation versus causation. Uh, so, so let's look at, you know, the example of uh, the ability of AI to do certain things like uh, pick up on these patterns that spots the, the presence of, say, uh, cancer or the potential presence. Um, you know, the, there are certain markers and things that can see by going through massive amounts of data, looking at all the stuff that we as humans would never in our lifetime be able to do. But once it pulls up that pattern, and even if it's highly accurate at correlating whatever that pattern is to an official eventual diagnosis of cancer, um, you know, there are many of those where it's very accurate. There's still some that, frankly, it's not. Um, there are still some that, again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to even play one on, on your podcast. But, you know, there were so many variables, uh, which is why you spent how many years in medical school? You spent how many years in residency? You, you have an inordinate amount of, you know, daily time doing what you do that uh, AI is not capable of today, and I don't believe it will be probably capable of of doing that uh, broad AI anytime, including probably in my lifetime. 
Um, and, and then finally, I'd say it, again, um, the value of AI in health and medicine comes when you understand what it's good at and whatever your role is, you figure out how to bring it in behind you to do something that you care about that's important as part of your practice or part of the mission of your organization. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you think about it's it's kind of like, you know, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. You got Captain Kirk who's making the judgment, but but Mr. Spock's giving him all the all the possibilities and and you know whether it's logical or illogical and all that. But but now that's a great now. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. That's a great analogy. Where uh, yeah, you look at the characters and. You know, it was a very simple portrayal of what we're talking about, where, um, you know, logic, data is super important. But in the end, um, you know, medical care is extremely complex. Uh, it, it's really part of a human process. Uh, and, and it involves so many other things, including, you know, obviously, uh, we, we fortunately are seeing the advent um, and, and focus much more on things like social determinants of health, where, you know, we, we can take all this clinical data, line it up, and then you start introducing uh, environmental factors. It, it increases the complexity, you know, uh, many times over. Um, and, and it is that combination of how we enlist the use of AI and then how we enlist the help of those clinicians, those discharge planners, those social workers and start looking at, you know, one, how to diagnose and fix a problem, but then eventually and hopefully spending a lot more time looking at how to use AI and, and the great service of, of uh, clinicians to get out ahead of that stuff to say, well, you know, we'll eventually get to the point, hopefully, of doing a better job of managing health rather than you know perpetuating the break fix model that we're all kind of involved with today you, you know right now we have different we screen for different diseases based on you know your sex based on your your um your race but it seems like with ai we could even within within at-risk populations we could even drill down or hone down to even more specific that based on your what streets you live on or what what county you live or your zip code that we could even tailor treatment plans or screening plans specifically for a, a geographic area not not just a race or sex absolutely and, and again that's where the um kind of broadening our perspective and our thinking and, and eventually interactions where um, you know, we're all uh, involved in, in generating massive amounts of data every day. Um, the, the amount of medical knowledge, according to one study, uh, where, where in 1950, as a newly minted physician, you'd go your entire practice before medical knowledge doubled, which was about 50 years at the time. Today, the estimate is medical knowledge is doubling every 75 days. So think about that. You're, you're uh, the best resident coming out. Uh, you got a great assignment, knowing that three months from now, the amount of medical knowledge has doubled. And that doesn't include so much of the other things like the social determinants. So to your point of, you know, there have been great studies, including one I'm thinking of from Washington, D.C., that showed, you know, two uh, elderly uh, people in their early 70s, um, two women have the exact medical record uh, lining up with what they have, and they've missed their annual physicals. 
and yet um, they lived 10 miles apart. And, and just the difference in where they lived in Washington, D.C., uh, meant one would live 30 years on average longer than the other. And, and, and yet the medical data, you know, the, the thing you would see in the EMR would virtually say they are identical patients. So, so it's bringing that together. It's parsing all of that data with the use of things like AI to, to help, um, you know, people like you spot those patterns, um, do more of the what ifs to start going from just where you are to hopefully extending the field of what we're actually doing to improve quality, improve efficiencies, and, and hopefully improve access. So let's talk a little bit about uh, a concept in your book called the intelligent health systems. Uh, what do you mean by that? And how is AI tied in with it? Well, uh, great question. Thanks for asking. Um, so, um, you know, let's just, you know, pause and say, um, let, let, let's all look back on what's happened in the last two years. I mean, the world's changed a, a lot. Um, so when I wrote uh, the book you're referring to, AI and Health, uh, it was um, published literally in March of 2020 when the pandemic was just starting to hit, which meant I wrote it right before that hit. So, so the premise is that, um, you know, healthcare organizations are all starting to use AI, and that was the premise at the time. Um, the pandemic came along and basically fast forward to that, where today I, I can't imagine there's a healthcare organization uh, not doing something with AI. The difference between what I call traditional health systems and intelligent health systems is this. Traditional health systems will, will take what they've always done, which, which by the way, neither one changes the mission of why your organization exists. It, it's how you pursue the future, where traditional health organizations are going to use AI to basically um, take the processes they're using today and figure out how to make them more efficient. So things like radiology reads would be a good example. Intelligent health systems are basically looking at, and we were talking before we uh, went on about things like lean principles and the Toyota production model. They're essentially saying, let's use the data, let's use the AI and figure out how to fundamentally change and improve every single process we have. So instead of just looking at uh, making the current work processes more efficient, intelligent health systems are going to use AI to, to um, basically make changes across all channels, all experiences, and all touch points for patients, for consumers, and, and even for, you know, the very staff that are delivering those services. I mean, we we could, I'm sure, spend another whole podcast talking about things like uh, clinician burnout and, and the workforce crisis. And, you know, so much of that, uh, I've got another book coming out uh, next month called Hacking Healthcare, where uh, when you look at the data, if we think we have a staffing crisis today, uh, fast forward uh, in, in the next decade when it comes to all of, you know, th there's a boomer turning uh, 65 every 15 seconds as they will for the next decade. You, you look at all of the needs, the challenges we have will only get worse. Intelligent health systems are those that are saying we're going to use our data, we're going to use AI uh, not to replace physicians, but rather to improve the processes uh, for them, for the patients, and for the consumers. And, and we're already seeing a lot of that happen. I mean, just look at, uh, to, to finish my commentary, uh, you know, telehealth had been around for three decades, clinically proven to work. It took a pandemic 
to actually have everyone try it. And, and much of that, when you look uh, under the hood, it's still you know clinically driven, but under the hood is a lot of AI that's driving the efficiencies of what we're seeing in telehealth. I know that I know uh, Tom. You've worked with a lot of a lot of health systems, but when you talk about an intelligent health system, who who are some of the folks out there who are really getting it and who are who are really leveraging this new technology? <laughs> and, so you're gonna have you me name started? names? Well, no. Uh, and how do you get no. started building one? I think is a good question. Yeah. It, you know, it sounds like a great place to go, but how do you how do you even start that? Well, let me let me. Uh, so there were at least two questions there. So one, uh, naming names. I'm not going to name specific that, organizations, but that's let, let's go back to, again, uh, what have we seen, what have we learned in the last two years of the pandemic? And one of the things, and again, in my new book, I've, I've got a whole chapter on basically um, raising the question of, is retail health the new market maker? So, so when you look at what happened with the pandemic, and then you look at how some of the big national, you know, uh, retail health and pharmacy chains stepped up. Um, you know, for example, Walmart, um, you know, something like 90 percent of all Americans live within 10 miles of Walmart. Um, you know, you, you look at the, some of the challenges of uh, increasingly rural health today as, as many clinics and things are closing. Uh, you know, the presence of some of these things like CVS and Walgreens and, um, you know, they, they stepped up to do everything from the one stop shop during the pandemic. Uh, they were the single best uh, point for testing and vaccinations. If you look closely at some of what they're doing, um, they're investing in the same EMRs that, that probably drive your organization. Uh, they are doing a lot to do things like um, push their pharmacists to the front lines. Uh, they've traditionally had these customer loyalty programs where you get discounts. And I predict that there's gonna be a lot where they're gonna be converting those to really be creating a much more seamless experience to be basically broadening the scope of what they do. They're already doing things like mini clinics. I, I predict they're gonna be doing a lot more to just try and pull everyone in. And again, look closely at what they're doing so much of that is being driven by the data they have and, and increasing use of artificial intelligence. Um, so so that, and, uh, the, the second part of your question, um, you know, how to do it? Well, um, you know, I, I, I could kid and say, well, buy my book, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, um, it, it is all about things like leadership. It's about things like process change. Um, you know, anyone who thinks that, uh, and, and I, in my work at the see organizations that um, say, we're gonna be a leader. And so they make major investments in technology and AI, and uh, they get a few years down the road and, and they're really not driving value. Um, there's a study by Boston Consulting Group across all segments, not just healthcare that shows Organizations making uh, big investments in AI, only 11% uh, get significant value out of it. And, and so when you tease out what Boston Consulting Group has to say, it's a lot about things like what I call the leadership imperative. It's a lot about understanding how uh, AI is not about hiring a chief technology officer who's great and some data scientists. It's about bringing along you know, people like physicians, nurses, and others as part of your workflow, as part of process improvement. It's about changing the culture. 
Uh, It's really about probably a lot of those things that you focus on today, uh, only when you start doing AI, it it takes things like lean principles and process improvement and kind of puts it on steroids. So there are those who are doing that. Uh, There are those who, you know, to be a little controversial, think they're doing that. And it gets back to, um, you know, people who have run these big healthcare organizations for decades a certain way. And their mindset is we're going to make that more efficient. The intelligent health systems are saying, no, no, let's 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 take what we learned from the pandemic, what we've learned from things like I, I just did an article for Forbes around how uh, healthcare fixing healthcare is really a generational thing. You know, the the the, the Gen Z or the millennial, you know, that they, they they want to do a, a medical consult from the same place they order their food, which is their living room couch. And, and, and so how, how do we start looking at the new world market needs and then adapting our processes? And so much of that is going to be driven by um, AI. And, and, and again, in the hands of those knowledge workers so that they can somehow be better at what they're there to do. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the physician piece that you just brought up. You know, we've been involved in change management with physicians and we talk often on the program about how to get physicians to change and how to bring them along. Can you talk just a little bit about what unique challenges uh, AI poses with trying to get physicians involved, or is it similar to other technology initiatives? Well, in in, in some ways, we don't, I know, have a lot of time. Um, AI is different than any technology they've ever experienced. Um, uh, And, and, you know, I can go deeper in that, but essentially, um, heretofore, humans and particularly in the medical process have always been in charge of making all decisions large decisions and then a thousand micro decisions that go into care management artificial intelligence come along and again it mimics human brain functions and human capabilities so for the first time we've got technology that can actually as i said earlier outsource certain things that only humans could do in the past Driving value means figuring out how to enlist that to, to, to get the best out of AI, but then position that to get the best out of your humans. If you get that, um, most physicians are leaning in saying, I want to learn more. If you don't get that, if, if you read the wrong journal article about how uh, you know, it's going to replace you. I mean, the last time I looked, um, physicians are as human as anyone else. And, and, and so... You know, you've got a great investment in what you do, uh, whether it's your clinical proficiencies, whether it's part of your identity, whether it's anything. Um, you know, all of a sudden, here's this thing that everyone's saying is going to dramatically change how health and medicine works. And if you understand that properly applied, um, it's actually going to be a great benefit. It's going to be something that allows any clinician to get to the next level. But a lot of that comes with the challenges like, again, um, there are times where I see organizations that are very hepped up about AI. They form a blue ribbon panel. And yet, you know, they've got a thousand physicians on staff with privileges and, you know, they've got five of them on the committee that's driving this. And, and the other, you know, 995 feel like their nose is pressed against the window glass waiting for something to happen. So it's it's, it's things like. You know, how do you educate? How do you bring physicians along? How do you have them actually driving this? And it's not just doctors, it's nurses, it's anyone 
who is critical as a knowledge worker to your future success. So you get those things right, and it comes back to the BCG study. Um, basically, it's a learning process, but it starts with those people who are important, driving your organization today, putting them in the right place to learn, understand, and, and, and grow with um, your use of and investment in AI. I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. You're already doing a lot of it. It's just a matter of how that AI is going to cause you to pivot a little more and, and things like process improvement. It, it would seem like, and, and I, I just want to get your opinion, that, that of course, AI is already being used in many sectors. It's, it's, it's being used more and more in the healthcare sector, but it seems like it's here to stay and it's it's only going to become more and more of a part of, of healthcare delivery. So, I mean, is this something that, that, you know, we as providers, we need to, I don't like to say get on board, but we need to to accept that this is this is the way of the future. And and the more that we, you know, I don't want to say give into it, but more the more that we admit that that's the way things are going to be, the better we're going to be. I, I think the simple answer is yes. I, I think the longer answer is and um, imagine. I mean, for any physician, uh, you know, tuned into this, um, you know, think about what gets you excited and why you went to medical school in your practice today. Now, think about all those things that you do in the course of your work, your practice, where you find yourself gritting your teeth or feeling like it's low value. So um, th there was a study by Accenture a while back that said up to a third of all activities that uh, clinicians do can be automated by AI. But what we're talking about is not that high value stuff typically that that gets you excited that you're your your top talent or superpower. It's, you know, all those repetitive activities. You, you look at uh, a study by Stanford that says uh, the average physician spends far more time in the EMR than they do with patients. So, we, we, you know, you went to medical school and yet we've turned you into data entry clerks. So, so our ability to use AI uh, to do things like conversational AI, ambient intelligence, to eliminate or at least reduce those things that then give you more time back to see patients, actually look them in the eye, work with them, do research, or, or God forbid, actually get home for dinner a little more often. That's the promise of AI. And, and, and if you get that, uh, hopefully you're going to be leaning in. And if you don't get that, if you're reading the wrong articles or if your organization has put that blue ribbon panel together for AI, and, and frankly, the physicians feel or the nurses feel like they're on the outside looking in, that's probably not going to go so well. That, that's the kind of place where you can come back two years from now. They may have done a few interesting use cases with AI, but it probably would be like the BCG study where that sort of process won't drive value at scale un until the people driving value today are, are involved. Well, well, Tom, thank you so much uh, for coming on and thank you for that last comment. Um, I was meant to ask you about the administrative burden. Obviously, a huge you know, burnout is a, is a huge issue for us and it's not going away anytime soon. And that's where I see the most promise. Um, but any any last words for our our medical group, our physician community, or anybody else listening to the podcast of what we should be 
looking for over the next couple of years as it relates to AI? Like like you said, it's not going away. Certainly every product I hear about has AI built into it in some way. So, um, you know, where, where are we going from here? Yeah. Well, I, I'd say one, learn and understand. Two, um, look at, uh, when I say learn and understand, you don't need to uh, become a coder and, and know how to put an algorithm together. Know what AI is capable of, because once you know the capabilities, you know your workflow, you know your practice, then it's a matter, if you know what the capabilities are, you're the smartest person to say, well, boy, if I interjected some of this here in the process, it's going to make the outcomes better, it's going to save us time. But learn, understand, uh, and, and basically, you're, you're driving these processes now, uh, recognize you're going to drive them in the future, uh, and, and alongside of you is going to be this intelligent capability that hopefully is only going to, one, make you better, but two, say, actually get you out of uh, driving home at night, gritting your teeth because of all of those other things that we're asking you to do today. Um, and, and, you know, beyond that, there are a lot of other things we don't have time for probably now, but, um, you know, there are a lot of things happening for around what we call responsible AI, where um, AI sometimes is being uh, put out in the wild. Um, its results are uneven based on things like gender and race. And so we, we've got to start speaking to and addressing things like stress testing, things like machine learning and predictive capabilities. So they're benefiting everyone, not just some of our population. Well, thank you. And uh, thanks again for joining. And thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Connecting the Dots. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit. Yeah, thanks, Tom. That was a great discussion. Thanks so much.